I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9 and verses 1 through 22. And just keep your Bibles open to that passage. There's a little outline on your worship folder and you can follow along there if you please. But today we're looking at a story that could be described as the second most significant event in the history of the church. The most significant event, we all know, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For without the resurrection, there would be no church, there would be no Christianity. But the second most significant event in the history of the church, it can be very easily argued, was the conversion of a man by the name of Saul. Saul was a Jewish leader. He was a a Pharisee, which is to say he was a hard-line fundamentalist in his day. And he was an avowed enemy of Christianity and anything to do with the early church. The Bible says that when the first Christian martyr was put to death, a man by the name of Stephen, Saul was there and he approved of the violent attack. In fact, it appears to have inspired him. Because he began more aggressively pursuing and persecuting Christians, having them arrested and executed whenever possible. In fact, Jesus had specifically warned his disciples about this when he said in John 16, verse 2, The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are doing or offering a service to God. I mean, think about that. There are going to be people out there who kill you. And think they're doing God a service. Does that sound familiar today? This kind of stuff is happening in our world. But then something happened in Saul's life. He became a believer. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And everything from that moment radically changed in his life. He even changed his name from Saul to Paul. And so Paul went out immediately and began preaching the gospel that he had once despised. He traveled around the world proclaiming Christ, planting churches, and training leaders. And during these travels, he frequently wrote letters, many of which found their way into the Bible. In fact, Paul's writings make up about half of the New Testament. Paul's influence began to spread, and it spread throughout the entire civilized world of his day. From a human perspective... He was the one man most responsible for the spread of early Christianity. You see, it was through his missionary activities and his writings that he changed how people thought about religion and how uh, they practiced it throughout the Mediterranean part of the world. Of course, from our perspective, we can see it as a Monday morning quarterback, so to speak. And we can see it wasn't just Paul that was doing these things. This was the work of the Holy Spirit, but God chose him, an imperfect vestal, to do amazing things. Eventually, he was put to prison, put in prison in Rome, and then he was put to death. But it cannot be denied that the world is a different place today because of this one man, the Apostle Paul. So today we want to look at Paul's story. We're going to specifically look at the way he was converted to Christianity. You know, everyone's conversion story is different. No matter how many people you have sitting here like this, none of us have the same exact circumstances. But in Paul's story, we see some principles that can be applied to every one of our lives. In fact, this story not only tells us how Paul came to be saved, but it also tells us how God could use him in such a powerful way. The story begins with Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus, but it ends with Paul on the road to greatness. Now, how did he get there? 
Well, let's take a look at it. So just follow along in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Well, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. That's you. Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love Ananias' response here. Lord, and any time you say, Lord, shouldn't you say, I'll do what you want me to do? If you say, Lord. But he said, Lord, Ananias, I've heard so many reports about this guy and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who can call on your name. Do you want me to go and do this? Absolutely. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Well, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and this must have been an amazing teaching time for Saul at that point, who is now becoming Paul. And, and it goes on to say, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is a son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, blown away, and asked, isn't this, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Think about it. When Saul set out that day for Damascus, he thought he was on the road to revenge. He thought he was on the road to setting things straight. He thought that he was on the road to proving that might is always right. But that's not really the road he was on that day. Something happened to him that day. He met Jesus Christ face to face, and that started him on the road to greatness. This is a road that every person sitting in this room, whatever your age may be, you can be on that road as well. Can you imagine yourself on the road to greatness? 
I mean, that kind of blows us away. We, we have a tendency never to think that I can be great at anything. Is it really possible? I mean, isn't greatness reserved for the, the specially chosen, for the elite, those who have special abilities and talents? Absolutely not. You see, the truth is that the road to greatness is, has an open lane for each and every one of us. The road to greatness has an open lane for any of us who are willing to get on that road. How many of you can remember back that very first time you tried to drive a car on the freeway? Wonderful memory, isn't it? I mean, I can remember the first couple of times I tried to make my way down that ramp to get on the freeway, and I wondered, how in the world am I ever going to get into that mass of metal? I mean, it seemed impossible. Every lane was already packed. There was very little room in between the cars, and they were just flying by. And I was a little bit scared. I would wait, and I would hesitate. I'd wait a little longer and hesitate, and all of a sudden I heard this beautiful symphony of horns behind me. And, uh, and a few other things that went on, you know. But finally, I learned how to do it. I got a handle on it. I not only got a handle on it, I hate to admit it, but I became pretty aggressive about it. I discovered that there was a place for me in this massive traffic. I just needed to know how to get in. And you know, it's the same on God's road to greatness. You may think that this road is only for the rich and the famous, for the powerful and influential, for the movers and shakers. But it's not their road exclusively. It's your road whenever you're willing to get on. You see, it doesn't matter what you think of yourself. Whether you, whether you think, well, I'm just mediocre. Man, I'm not even mediocre. I'm way below that. There's no way that God could use me. And you know, it doesn't matter either. Whatever road you've traveled in the past, it absolutely doesn't matter how bad you've been. Whatever you've done, it doesn't matter to God. There's a place for every one of us in the kingdom of God. A place where you can not only serve, but you can be used by God in a great way. And we need to remember this, friends, when we think of those whom we feel are beyond hope. You see, in the first century, there were a lot of people who thought that Paul was that kind of a guy. I mean, he was so deeply entrenched in his religious heritage, so hostile to these new ideas of Christianity, so full of hatred and intolerance that people couldn't imagine Paul could ever possibly change. Even Ananias in our story had a vision from God to go and pray with him. And Ananias' response to God was basically, you've got to be kidding. I can't do that. He couldn't wrap his head around this concept. In the early 70s, some of you will remember a guy by the name of Charles Colson. He literally helped destroy an entire presidential administration and left a, a mark on our historical record that will never be removed. One writer called him the, quote, evil genius in Nixon's circle of power. Colson himself said the reason that he was so valuable to the president it was because he wasn't afraid to be ruthless in order to get things done. By the time Colson was sent to federal prison back in 1973, he was already the poster child for all that's wrong with American politics. Most people would have considered him a man beyond redemption. But shortly before he went to prison, 
Colson came face to face with Jesus Christ, and he became a believer. As a result, he became a brand new man, and he spent the next 39 years of his life working for the cause of Christ, preaching the gospel, ministering in prisons all around the world, advocating reform, not in just the justice system of the United States, but in other places in the world. This man, who many considered to be an absolute lost cause, became a great man in the kingdom of God. Principle, and I want you to take this with you. No one is too far gone to be used by God. Don't you like that? No one is too far gone to be used by God. And this includes that person that you may think has no shot whatsoever, that you think is the absolute worst person in the world. <laughs> Let me tell you about a person like that. When we were pastoring up in Pismo Beach, one Sunday a, a young lady came into the service. And uh, after the service, and the, she came to me and said, I, I, I would really like to talk to you, Pastor could we make an appointment? So I met with her this week, and, and uh, she came in, and she said, uh, I, I need to share this with you before I start attending the church, if it's okay. I said, okay, that should be no problem. And she said, well, uh, my husband's name is Bruce Davis. He was a member of the Manson clan. Have you ever heard of the Manson group? And uh, she went on to tell how Bruce had come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, how he was leading a Bible study in the prison up in San Luis. She, she also said, well, I have a good friend, and, and uh, her name is Kristen, and, and if it's all right, I'd like to invite her to church. And uh, I said, sure. And, and she said, well, you would probably know who her, her husband is. And, and uh, I said, okay, and what's his name she said, well, he, he goes by Tex Watson. You ever hear of Tex Watson in the Manson gang? Here were two people that people would feel were absolutely beyond redemption. And yet both of them had become Christians while they were in prison. Both of them were leading Bible studies. Christian became, Christian became a, a, a member of our church. So did uh, Bruce's wife. And over the years, we developed a ministry to the prison up there. Any given Sunday, we would probably have 30 wives of prisoners attending our church. We never made a big deal about it. We didn't say anything. They just came and were a part of it. And we had special fellowship behind the scenes. But God did some amazing things through that. And these were people that I thought, no way. In fact, I have a book in my library. And it says, it's entitled, Would You Die for Me? And that was written by Charles Tex Watson. And uh, it's amazing who God can use. And so I want you to just understand how bad you may have been. Whatever you may have done, there is a place for you in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Just turn to someone right now and say, I don't care what you've done, there's a place for you in God's kingdom. Tell them that. You know, bottom line, no one can ever get too far off the beaten path to be a part of God's kingdom. This passage begins with, 
with Saul just breathing out threatenings against the disciples of Jesus Christ. And it ends by saying in verse 22, and I love how fast Paul got to this point. He grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. But you know, the story doesn't end there. And there's another point I want you to understand That even though this road to greatness is available to all, the road to greatness is uphill all the way. The road to greatness in God's kingdom is uphill all the way. Listen to what God said to Ananias. And what he said to Ananias is going to take some getting used to for some of us. He asked Ananias to go to Saul and to pray for him. And listen to this in verse 15. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I mean, that sounds great. Paul's going to have an international ministry. This is going to be wonderful. And it sounds so good and positive. But there's 16 that follows verse 15. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I must show him how much he must suffer for my name. Whoa, wait, suffer? I mean, who in their right mind is going to sign up for that kind of a ministry? I mean, I thought that God was supposed to make life better, not worse. Well, he does make life better, better than you can imagine, better than I can even describe today, but not necessarily in the way that a lot of people think he will. The fact is... That person with or without Christ is going to go through difficult times. I don't care whether you're a strong believer or you don't believe at all. You're all going to go through a lot of the same stuff. For the Bible tells us the rain falls on the just and the unjust. However, after more than 50 years of following Jesus Christ, after seeing how people with faith respond to tragedy and how people without faith respond to tragedy, I'm convinced that a Christian has the advantage in facing difficulty every time. Why? We have the presence of Christ in our life. He offers guidance when we're confused. He offers us comfort when we're going through difficult times and we're hurting. And He offers us forgiveness whenever we fall or falter or fail. For this reason, hard times are more bearable for a person who has faith in Jesus Christ than for that person who has no faith. And they have to put their hope in the circumstances of life. But there's a sense in which a Christian has to face a struggle of suffering that most non-Christians will never understand. You see, Christians have a greater level of accountability to the world around us. Let me say that again. We Christians have a greater accountability to the struggle and the suffering in the world around us than than a non-believer. Our job is to do more than to look out for number one. Our job is really more than just taking good care of ourselves. Our job is to look out for others as well. To take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Our job is to make a difference in our world. And too often, people are born again and they're excited with that, but they just want to sit and take in. How many of you know that if all you do is take in, you become a dead sea? You have to have an outlet. God designed it that way. And there are a lot of salty Christians sitting around. And we need to have an outlet. The Spirit comes through and keeps going. You see... Followers of Jesus Christ can't just turn a blind eye to the suffering in the world around us. We can't. We can't pretend that problems don't exist out there. 
Followers of Jesus must choose conviction over convenience every time. And that choice, friends, comes with a price. There are many within the church who feel that if you follow Jesus Christ, everything is going to be good. And, and you're not going to have any problems. And it's, life is always going to be easier. And if something isn't easy, if results don't just magically and quickly arrive, then they decide that it must have not been God's will at all, even in the first place. So the first time an obstacle comes in, they want to throw in the towel. They want to quit. This is getting too hard. I mean, this is too much work. God must not be in it if I'm having to deal with these difficulties. You know, I don't know where that comes from, but I do know it doesn't come from this book, friends. If Paul's attitude was... I'll just hang in there and do this thing until life gets difficult. He wouldn't have made it past Acts chapter 9. By verse 23, his former cohorts and his former colleagues were trying to kill him. And the truth is, trouble followed Paul all the days of his life and his entire ministry. But I want you to know that the decision to follow Jesus Christ, to be a fully engaged Fully devoted follower of Jesus is the best decision you'll ever make in your life. It'll open the door to God's power in your life. It'll open the door to God's blessings and God's peace in your life. You will experience abundance. You'll know the true meaning of joy. You'll understand what it means to have relationships that are deep and not like the shallow things that are going on out in the world today. You'll know the deep satisfaction of knowing that you are doing what God put you on this earth to do. It's a great life. But in addition to all of that, you will have to face disappointment, hardship, setbacks, defeat, and you will suffer the world's sufferings. And you are going to hurt when others hurt. You say, well, why is that, Pastor? When you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, God responds by calling you into an area of service. He gives you a burden that you can't let go of. He gives you a burden to make the world around you a better place. And that burden sometimes will just break your heart when you see what's happening in those that you're ministering to and you're dealing with. And sometimes that burden will seem like it's way too much for you to bear. And sometimes you'll feel like, I can't afford this thing. It's just too expensive. Oh, you probably won't go to jail. And you probably won't spend a day and night lost at sea. And you probably won't wind up in a foreign prison like Paul did because of his faith. But you most certainly will dedicate a lot of long hours serving Jesus Christ. And you'll sacrifice financially. And you'll work when you're absolutely exhausted. And you'll be criticized unfairly. I'll guarantee that'll happen. And you won't always get the results that you wanted to see take place. Sometimes the work is demanding. The pay isn't all that great. But as the old joke goes, the retirement benefits are out of this world. You see, God said to the Apostle Paul, He is my chosen instrument. He said that Paul would preach the gospel all around the world. But he also said, he must suffer for my name. You know, God could have been talking to you and to you and to you, to every one of us here, just like that. You see, you too can have a custom design capacity to serve him. And you too will be asked to pay a price. 
Is it worth it? Absolutely. The road to greatness is an uphill climb all the way, each and every step on that road. My question to every one of us here today, I don't care what your age, do you want to stay stalled on the on-ramp onto life's freeway? Or do you want to get in the fast lane and God's highway to greatness? The choice is yours. No one can make it for you. You have to make that choice yourself. And you know, it's, it's this basic. It's called commitment. Do you know what commitment is? Commitment is saying, I'm going to give this situation to you. But I think it's deeper than giving the situation or the problem. I think it's saying, Lord, I'm going to give myself to you, everything that I have. I learned this a long time ago from a friend of mine, Earl Lee. Some of you would remember him, a great pastor in our denomination. And he talked about when you make a commitment, when you're really making a commitment to the Lord, we have a tendency to make it like this. How many of you have ever heard of, I'll just turn it all over to you, Lord. And we do it, palms up, hands up, like this. So we say, here's my problem or here's my life. I put it in my hands and I give it to you. But you know what? Notice, I'm walking all around. I can even jump and walk and jump. I can go down and up. I still control it. My problem in my hands that I'm giving to the Lord is still in my hands. There needs to come a point where we say, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give me to you hands down. And you notice how much control you have when you turn it over to God, hands down? Absolutely not. And maybe we need to give our lives to the Lord and give our situations to the Lord palms down, not palms up. I've also learned that it's not just a one-time thing. I did it 40 years ago at the altar, and it's a done deal. No, I make that commitment to the Lord every day of my life. Every morning I wake up, and just in the process of what I'm doing, I say, Lord, I give myself to you, hands down. And you know, it's made an amazing difference in my life. I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. I want you to just bow your heads right where you are. Holy Spirit, just come and fill this place with your presence and your power. And you know where each of us are on our road of life. You know where we are in our depth of spirituality, whatever that may be. And it doesn't really matter. Wherever we are, you meet us right there. And you never want to leave us. You want to pick us up and move us on. And some of us at different times have given certain things and aspects of our life to you over and over and over again. But we still control it because we're giving it to you palms up. So today, we're going to give you ourselves and our situation palms down. What I'd like you to do right now, just right where you are, just uh, open your hands and hold them palms up to the Lord. You don't have to hold them up high. It's just on your lap. Put your hands palms up. And in your mind's eye, just place your life, yourself, on the palms of your hand. And in your own words, just say, Lord, today, 
And from every day on out, I'm going to give you my life hands down and then just turn your hands over right now. Just try it. It will work. Thank you, Father, for being here with us and helping each of us to move forward in our walk with you. And I pray that you would do great things in and through each and every person here in the days ahead. We thank you that you're always there for us. And so we turn our lives in this church and this ministry over to you. And we know that you're going to do some great and amazing things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.